Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, we've been talking a lot about exile. Today we're going to talk about our personal exiles and the ways that we can be distant from God. Today is Palm Sunday, right? And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. And what Jesus does is he enters Jerusalem on a donkey, very humbly. He doesn't come in as a conquering king on a, on a white stallion. He doesn't come in to force his way, and rather he comes in humbly, but he does come in, he pursues his people in that way, right? He actually comes to them. He doesn't wait for them to find him. He comes to them, and they shout out to him because there's this sense of, this is, this is Jesus. This is somebody amazing, and there's a sense of, we need to reach out, and they, they, they shout out to him, Hosanna, save us. Save us. There's a sense in the people's minds of distance from God and, and the need to come close to Him and to have closure and to be close to God as they recognize Jesus. Now, they didn't know all that He was going to do. They didn't understand spiritually what was about to happen. But there was this longing, right, to be close to Him, to have Him save them. During these days of COVID, the last 12 months, there's been a sense of exile at some level, hasn't it? I mean, some of us live in, live in some level of exile anyway, right? Because you have family that live around the country or around the state, and you have people who are close to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's like us, and you've messed up, and, and you've launched your kids. I don't know why we did that, but somehow some of them live over a thousand miles away. Um, actually, that was our goal. We want to we want to get them to be able to, to go and, and reach the world, and they have, and one of them has, has come back. But there's a sense of exile when your family, those who you care about, those who you love most, maybe a son or daughter, mother, father, sibling, even a really close friend, and they, they're distant. And you're like, man, I, I hurt over that a little bit, you know? I, I don't like that. Or maybe there's, maybe there's relationship distance, and there's a relationship that has a, a break in it. And you just can't seem to get over that. You just can't seem to close that gap. And you find yourself being, being distant. See, most people live on, in some level of exile. We all dream about the time we can all live together, right, in the same place. I mean, my mom talks about this a lot, and she, she understands, and she launched us to go live around the world, and uh, she always says some stuff like, you know, I, I should have, hi, Mom, she's watching, um, you know, I should have never taken you all to Florida, right? Because once she took us to Florida on vacation, we all figured out, or two of us did, hey, we could live down there. They have houses here. You know, I mean, that was amazing to me when I was a kid coming to Florida and I realized driving out of town, people actually live here year-round. But, you know, we think about, could we one day all be together? And all of our distance is closed and all of our relationship distance is solved. We have to live together in the same place. And that's really what we long for in heaven, isn't it? When we all can sit together at the table. And we can fellowship in sweetness 
and no undercutting jokes and no uh, undercurrents of anger. It's, it's just a sense we can come together and be together. That's what we dream about. And sometimes we think about, well, how did this exile happen? Was it a good thing? Was it a good idea? I mean, I remember moving to Houston after I graduated from college and thinking, wait a minute, I'm in Houston. My family's in Missouri. What happened here? I never even realized that I was going to live a long way from home. Some of those decisions we make are good decisions. Some were not good decisions. But we find ourselves in exile. And most people live that way on some level. And it's true spiritually too, isn't it? If you've been, maybe the events of the last 12 months have gotten you to the place where you're like, man, I'm just not as close to God as I used to be. I just feel like I'm a little bit more distant. Maybe you haven't been able to come to church and, and you've been feeling like, I feel distant from the body, from my, my church family. Even though I've been able to watch online, I just don't feel like I'm as close as I once was. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you would say that you're closer to Jesus than you've ever been? Right now, right here in this place, you're like, man, I, I'm on fire for Jesus and I'm as close as I've ever been. This is the best time of my life most people today, I don't feel like, would say that. Most people would say, I, there's an exile. There's a distance. I'm not as close as I used to be. And I'm not sure why, because I've tried hard. I, I've tried to get close, but I just can't quite figure it out. I can't figure out why I don't feel as close to God as I used to feel. Maybe today you've come and gone, I would like to regain that because Resurrection Sunday's coming and I would really like to worship in a powerful way. And when you feel distant from God and you're, you can easily get kind of unhappy and you can tell because then happy people really offend you, right? You ever notice that? And you're like, man, I wish that person wasn't so happy. Why don't they be miserable like me? I would feel better about that. Misery does love company. But I have good news. I have good news. Spiritual exile is self-inflicted, but it can be healed. Spiritual exile is self-inflicted, but it can be healed. So wait a minute, I didn't do this. I didn't cause this whole COVID thing. I, listen, listen. If you feel distant from God, who moved? As my football coach used to tell me in high school. If you're distant from God, it's not God that moved. See, God pursues. Jesus came into Jerusalem, even though he's going to be crucified. Jesus came to earth to pursue you and I. If you feel distant from God, he didn't move. You see, the, the prodigal left the father. The father didn't leave the prodigal. It can be healed, and that's God's desire. He wants to close that gap of exile. But the problem is, what happens is the reason we get distant from God are not always intuitive. In other words, they're, they're not always what we think they would be. Because a lot of times I think, well, the reason that Steve is distant from God is because he's fallen into sin in this area and he's walked away from God. And you may be saying, you know what, that's not me. I didn't fall into sin. See, some of the reasons we're distant from God are because we bought into the thinking of the world. And it's kind of seeped into our minds almost without us realizing it. Because the world thinks like this. 
The world is all about self-actualization and that I can earn goodness, right? That I can achieve something that I don't already have, that I can be good enough. Every other world belief system, be it Islam, Hindu, Buddha, you name it, it's all about I'm going to get there, I'm going to get better, I'm going to achieve more, I'm going to earn God's favor. But that's counter to who God is. Yet it seeps into our lives and causes us to be exiled from God. And that's what's happening to Israel in this whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to look today at dealing with the things that cause us to be exiled in a very real and powerful way. Ezra chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Ezra chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And I want you to know, if you're feeling distant from God, be ready because God is probably going to call on you today to set aside some beliefs that you hold dear. Some beliefs that you hold dear. Ezra chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, says this. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel For the people wept bitterly. So here's Ezra. Ezra is the priest. He is the spiritual leader at this time. He's the one that came back from Babylon to establish worship, to establish the temple worship as it once was, to help the people be who they should be. And as he comes back, he is mourning. He is weeping bitterly. He is praying. He is making confession for the people. And why is he doing this? Because he's found out that the people have married foreign wives. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Intermarriage is not a question of race or ethnicity. It's a question of faith and worship. The reason that intermarriage was a problem for the people of Israel was that when they would intermarry, they would inevitably adopt the practices and beliefs of the people around them. And when that happened, the people of God began to be deluded and would ultimately disappear from the face of the earth. And therefore, the mission of God that he had specifically for these people would be lost. And there would be no salvation. There would be no line of David. There would be no Jesus Christ. So there's a lot at stake right here. There's a whole lot at stake as they have begun to intermarry. And they've begun to wander away from being the specific people of God. And Ezra is broken over this. He says, this is awful. And Ezra owns it. He says, we have done this. He prays, God, we have entered into this. He he owns their shame. He steps into that with them. And he prays probably in one of the uh, outer uh, courtyards of the temple. And he's on his face and he's tearing his clothing and he's tearing out his hair. And the people respond. The people respond, verse 2. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Verse 3. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God 
to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task. We are with you. Be strong and do it. Some spiritual guy named Shechaniah, not sure exactly who he is, but he's apparently a leader, and he stands up and he says, there's still hope for Israel. It can still be saved. We will put away our foreign wives. In other words, we will divorce our foreign wives. And right now you're saying, well, wait a minute. I thought that God hated divorce. I thought the Malachi says God hates divorce and and it should never be a divorce. We should fight this at all costs. And here's what he's saying. Shechaniah is saying, listen, we've got to get rid of those who are going to lead us astray. Jesus said, you should not divorce your wife unless there's unfaithfulness. Paul added to that, you should not divorce unless the one you're married to is an unbeliever and wants to depart. And if that's true, you can let them go. And here's the idea. The New Testament is saying very much what the Old Testament would say, making it more clear and applying it to their lives. It's saying, listen, the cause of Christ is primary, right? And if you're married to someone who's an unbeliever, you may be able to bring them to faith. And you should try to do that. Peter said that. He said, listen, by your, by your chaste conduct, you may be able to win your husband to the Lord. I know many of you are praying for that. There's no reason to divorce your foreign spouses unless you cannot live as a follower of Jesus with them. And that's really what Paul and Jesus are both saying. Paul's saying, listen, if they're, if they're causing you, they're drawing you away, there's no way, they won't let you go to church, they won't let you do those kinds of things, and they decide they want to depart, then you're free. And here in Ezra, the people of God are saying, we've got to get rid of those who are going to destroy us as a people. And we're going to have to, we're going to commit to put these things away. And in doing so, they're saying, we're putting away the world's system. The world's system that says, you can be good enough. You can earn your way to heaven. You can do this on your own. And that's what the people around them believed. So for us, there's some things that we're going to have to abandon as well. But let's continue through and see how they handle this. Verse 4. Verse 5, Ezra then arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would, of what they would do, that they would do it and what has been said. So they took the oath, and then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God, and he went to the chamber of Jehonan, the son of Elishab, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. Dealing with faithlessness... Dealing with broken relationships is a very sad and heart-wrenching system, situation. There is a great sense of sadness and loss and mourning. Because what, what Ezra is faced with is almost an unbearable decision. There's going to be great harm and great pain in this. People are going to be hurt. It's going to be difficult for God's people to step out of these relationships. I mean, it's unheard of really in Scripture that we're going to tell our people they've got to put away these wives. And so you see Ezra going into this, this sense of mourning and fasting and not drinking any water and praying. It's very, very sad. It's very, very difficult. 
Verse 7, And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. What they're saying is you can't be a part of us if you're going to continue to worship and to adopt all of the, re- the religious beliefs of those around us. You're going to have to be separate. You're going to have to be a distinct people. Down, down to verse 10. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of this land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. People are saying, yeah. And incidentally, some of these people had actually divorced Jewish wives to marry foreign wives. There's a real whole big mess of what's going on here. They all agreed, we will repent of what we have done, and we will do what you tell us we must do. Verse verse 14, verse 13, but the people are many, and it's time of heavy rain, and we cannot stand in the open, nor is the task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in the matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let us, let all of our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times with them, the elders and judges of every day, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Here's what they're saying. This is not something we can handle in a day. This is something we're going to have to take some time. And they wind up taking almost three months to go through each situation and make sure that what's being done is appropriate, that there has been a sense of marrying someone who has drawn the people of God away from their God. Verse 16, Then the returned exiles did so, and Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their father's house, each of them designated by name. And on the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. They took a long time. They went through each case. They got all the leaders together, and they decided and and made it clear who, in fact, had broken this law that we should not marry those who will draw us away from God. And even the priests and the sons of the priests had done this. It was throughout the people of Israel. Over a hundred people are named in this, and there probably were more, but these were real people in a real situation. So you say, Steve, all that, I, I don't really understand how that helps me. What is that to me? And here's what we've got to understand about this. The goal here is that the kingdom and the mission of Jesus Christ be built. And that God's purpose in this world is the most important thing. Marriage is designed to glorify Jesus Christ, and our marriages should do that. That's what we're designed to do. We're not to be marrying in order to gain favor, to gain for business reasons, because we think that that family will help my family. We marry in order to bring glory to our God. And the people of Israel had married in order to do a lot of other different things. But what's behind that is the desire for the world's system and to think like the world thinks and to believe like the world thinks. That I can be good enough. That I can earn God's favor. 
But I'm wondering for us, in the last 12 months, have you wondered about God's favor in your life? Have the hard times that many of you have experienced, the fear of a disease, the financial challenges, the political and racial challenges, has that taken you to a place where maybe you're wondering about the love of God? Maybe you're measuring how much God loves you by how your life is going. Has that been a thing for you? Have you wondered if maybe you haven't done enough? You see, when we start wondering about what God has done in our lives, when we start wondering about His love, we respond in one of two ways. We either pout and get angry. God's not fair. Don't like it. You're not a just God. We begin to judge God. Or we just try harder. And we start thinking, if I had just done more, if I had worked harder, if I had worked, done more stuff for God, if, if I had, had read more Scripture, if I had just done more good deeds, then God would love me. He would be pleased with me. That's how the world thinks. That's not who Jesus is. See, as the people of God, we need to abandon some things. We need to divorce ourselves from some ideas that we like but that we need to get rid of and remove from our thinking. And the first one we need to abandon is the idea that you can earn more of God's blessing. I mean, it, it's in our kind of in our, our thinking a lot of times that, oh, I can, I can earn more. If I just do more good stuff, God's going to love me more and, and I'm going to have a better life and I'm going to be more successful. I'm going to be healthier. Let me just tell you, you can't earn more of God's love than you already have. You can't earn more of God's love than you already have. See, the world says, be good and you'll be blessed. God says, I sent my son Jesus to bless you so you'll be good. Right? And the difference in those two statements is like night and day. The difference is I'm going to earn God's love and, and because I've done good, God will bless me. The other is that God has blessed me. I have God's love, so I'm going to live in light of that. Those are two very different worldviews, yet we as believers can easily shift into the I got to earn it worldview. And honestly, to give that up is a loss. Because we like the idea that I can just work harder. I can just do better. I can just try and, and be a better person. And it's going to happen. God's going to bless me. No, no. God already loves you. You say, well, the stuff I've been through, I don't know if God loves me. Listen, Jesus promised there would be hard times. Right? He said, listen, in this world you will have tribulation, John 14, but in me you will have peace and be assured of this, I've overcome the world. Right? See, hard times doesn't have anything to do with God's love in terms of being less. It actually means more. He says, I'm preparing you for what I want you to do. I'm working out my purpose in this world just like God worked his purpose out through Jesus Christ who endured more pain and more suffering and more tribulation than anybody. You've got to abandon the idea that you can earn more of God's blessing. We also need to abandon the idea that God 
only loves you when you succeed in doing amazing things for him. Sometimes we think, if I could just do one more thing, if I could lead one more Bible study, or if I could, if I could just have one more devotion with him, if I, could just, if I could just be more consistent, that God would love me more. No, he already loves you. We don't do those things out of duty. We do what we do for the Lord because he already loves us. So where we have to get is where we rest in the reality that Jesus loves us and that nothing I can do can cause him to love me more. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you right now where you are? When you hear that statement, do you believe that God loves you right now where you are? What you've done what, who you are, do you believe that God loves you right now where you are? Or are you saying to God, well, if you, had, you allowed this to happen, so you might not love me. You, you allowed that to happen, so you must not love me. Or I made this failure, so you... Listen, that's the world's thinking that's gotten into us. As followers of Jesus, if you've received the gift of salvation through faith and repentance, He loves you. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. To pay for you. Not because you were worthy of it. Not because you were good. He sent Jesus to die for you. In all of your mess. In all of your unbelief. In all the challenges. In all the things that you, you feel like you've come up short. He says, I sent Jesus because you're so valuable to me. It was worth it. Do you believe he loves you? Do you have that sense in you right now that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, loves you? See, this morning we need to rest in his love. Rest in his love. You see, when we decide that we can earn it, that we can, we can do more, that, that we, can, we can be better, and that, that means God will love us more, we walk away from him. What we think is going to bring us closer to him often brings us further away from him because we're going to do these things to earn his love when in fact we need to do those things because we already have his love. Now, can you imagine how Jesus must feel when we say to him, I, I don't think you love me, I, I need to go earn it some more. How offensive that would be to the one who died for us when we were still yet sinners. You know, he's glorified when you rest in his love. He is glorified when you say, I know you love me. Not because I'm worthy of it, not because I've earned it. I know you love me. We need to rest in his love. And when we rest in his love, we return from exile. We get a lot closer to him. If you're feeling distant from him today, we need to rest in his love. And that will bring you closer to him. And make that idea of exile that the children of Israel were so afraid of at this time that they'd be driven back into exile or that they'd be destroyed altogether. It goes away. Because now it doesn't depend on me. It just depends on Jesus. Rest in his love. Return from exile. And then you regain your identity. 
And over this year, last 12 months, a lot of people, man, I forgot who I am even. I'm used to being in church on Sunday. I'm used to this. I'm used to that. I'm used to all kinds of things. And, and all the challenges that we face, people sometimes have forgotten who they are. And the people of God in the story of Ezra have kind of forgotten who they are because they've mixed so much with the world. When you rest in his love and you return from exile, you regain your identity. A sense of who you are and what your purpose is in life. And that's what's getting ready to happen to the people of Israel as we finish Ezra and begin Nehemiah. Do you feel loved by God right now? Do you feel loved by God? There's no reason that you shouldn't feel his love right now unless you're holding something against him, unless you're, you're refusing to repent. But there should be a sense of the love of the God of the universe in your life right now. A long for that for us. That we would all function, not out of our goodness, but we'd all function out of the fact that Jesus loves me. I want to live in light of that. I want to live out my life in light of that. He loves you. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.